Amen. Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you can hear me. Hopefully this thing will turn on. It's my Britney Spears speaker headset. Um, if, you, if you don't have one in, it, at the door, you might have walked past it, but it's a little communion, portable communion cup. Because after my lesson today, we're going to take communion together. We'll say a prayer, and then we'll uh, continue with our service. This morning, uh, as you know in our church, we're really, really focused on relationships. We feel like it's the most important thing. We just don't want to become a place where it's, you're just going to church on a Sunday. You don't know people. That's not what Jesus came to die for. He specifically said, by your love, the world will know that you're my follower. So love is an important characteristic in the following Jesus. Um, for everyone who follows Jesus, you have to get away from the hatred, the bitterness, the resentment. and You got to embrace love. You really have to do that. Otherwise, your journey as a Christian will struggle and you won't want to come to fellowship because you're you're so resentful of someone even in the room or you're bitter with someone in the room. And that's not following Jesus. Jesus would tell you guys, if you have an enemy, go love your enemy, go serve your enemy. And Paul, the apostle. Was a Pharisee who was in part of the religious establishment known as the Pharisees, there was multiple groups in Judaism just like there's multiple groups in Christianity. You know, you have a bunch of Christian-type churches. Same with Judaism. They had the Sadducees. They had the Pharisees. They had the Essenes. They, they, were, mon they were like monks. They had a bunch of groups, just like, just like we do. And they all had different versions of how they were going to worship and honor God. Paul was a part of the Pharisee group. And Paul was so, so angry at the followers of Jesus that he spent his entire adult life up to the point where Jesus met him on the road, hunting down and killing Christians. He was ruthless. He would throw women in prison. He would hunt you down. He would, he, his goal was to disrupt the Christian followership of Jesus. And so it's, a, it's amazing to, to note that Paul is writing letters to the Christians who follow Jesus. That's phenomenal. And so Paul is confronted by Jesus on this road to Damascus. It's in Acts chapter 9. You can read about it. And for three days, he's blinded with complete darkness. And Ananias is a disciple that is told by Jesus to go, hey, look, I want you to go to the straight street and meet up with this guy named Paul. He's like, he's like who? Because Paul was ruthless. Paul was, Paul was a killer. So Jesus tells Ananias, go to him, and I want you to restore his sight because I have a plan for him. He will learn through suffering how to follow me. That's what Jesus said. He will learn through suffering how to follow me. So if you're suffering as a Christian, you're in good company. Because there's a transformation process that when you suffer things, it transforms you into something else. Because the Bible always highlights the struggle. So Paul is baptized. The scales come off his eyes. He's changed forever. But when he goes to, goes to church, he shows up in the, in the town, and all the disciples run away from him because they don't believe he's a Christian. Because, like, this guy's he's pulling a fast one. He's a, he's a fake Christian. He's going to kill us. So the disciples always kept, kept, they kept running away from him until Barnabas says, no, 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 no. He's really a disciple. So over time, Paul develops these amazing relationships. And one of the relationships I want to highlight this morning is his relationship with Timothy. Timothy is a, is a, is a brother. 
Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace uh, to you from God our Father. This is, this is significant. Paul is writing a letter, and he's not the only sender of the letter. Paul's a sender, and Timothy is a sender of this letter. And it wasn't necessary to include Timothy in this letter because Timothy is not an apostle. Timothy has no apostolic authority, but yet Paul makes him a co-sender. And Paul also calls him a brother, not a child, not a co-worker alongside Paul, but he calls him a brother. Timothy is the only person Dear son, he calls him a brother. Now he says, he's my son. And that word is akapetos, which means a deep sacrificial love. Someone where you lay your life down for someone. You know, the Greek has three different variations of the word love. Friendship, there's, a, there's, a, there's more of a, a sexual connotation of a word, the word love. And then there's this agape love, like a friend, like what, what, what uh, Logan was describing his relationship with Ryan. It's like a brother. I'll lay my life down for you. 
And that's how Timothy is viewed by Paul. This deep, sincere, sacrificial love. His true son. I'm passing on my wisdom. Six letters alongside Paul. And no one else gets that distinction, distinction in the New Testament. Timothy does. He's loved. He's beloved. Uh, he, he's, Paul loves him. And to look at that word. We Look at its use in the New Testament. It's used in this moment here. That same word by the authors. Paul knows the Gospels. And look at the word that is used when Jesus is baptized. And then from the voice from heaven at, at the Jordan River where Jesus is baptized, the people who witnessed the baptism hear this voice from God. And they see the, the dove descending and a voice says, this is my son whom I love. It's the same language that Paul uses to Timothy, that God the Father uses to Jesus the Son, this relationship, the Son, this awesome, uh, uh, amazing uh, testament of connection. It's the same word. It's the same word used in Paul's relationship with, his, with other brothers. Uh, in the Acts 15, there was a big council meeting because the Gentiles were starting to believe in Jesus and the church didn't know what to do with all these Gentiles because it started as a Jewish religion. And so should they be circumcised? Should they follow our Jewish customs? What should, they, what should we do with all of basically us, non-Jewish people? And so this is the relationship that Paul has with the, the, the apostles and the brothers in Jerusalem. We have heard that someone out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling you in your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and to send them to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul. Now, they're two guys that have great relationships with other people in the Jerusalem church. They're dear friends, the agape love. The, these guys are our brothers, not just, oh, hi, church member i'll see you on a sunday no 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 not that kind of relationship i'm talking your deepest closest most trusted relationship you have that's what they're describing and everyone should have that i'm not saying you have to be friends with 15 people like this that's impossible and you'll be super tired right but you should have a handful of people that know you that know you and they know you and love you for who you are Good, bad, and the ugly, and they're not even judgmental. They just love you. They want to help you. They're not judging you. They just, they're always going to be there with you. You need friends like that. That's why the, the, the call to relationships is so important because when we do that with non-Christians and they feel that love and sincerity, man, it's powerful in making disciples. It's powerful. So Paul and Barnabas, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. Men who have risked their lives. That's why these guys are like, man, we love these guys. They're amazing. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what you are writing because they gave them direction on how to help the Gentiles. Paul's letter to the Roman church. He's saying his, you know, a letter. And at the very end of the letter in chapter 16, he gives some, he gives some recognition to people. And one of the people in that church is a dear friend of Paul. The same word used there. Greet also the church that meets at their house. We have house churches, don't we? Cool. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Dear friend, 
a loved friend. Paul's relationships he had with all kinds of people, his peers, some older, and also some younger. Timothy was one of them. My dear loved friend. It's a person that you can do life with. So Paul describes in 2 Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, as to Timothy. Paul's old at this point, and it's his last letter because he's, he's done. He's gone to Rome. He's standing trial. They find him guilty, and they execute him. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul uses these words to describe his relationship with Timothy, older and younger. You know, I had the, uh, this awesome time last week. I got to spend time with a young man that I've known since he was born. And I had a cup of coffee with him. He was, I think he's 20 now. His name is Xander Canock. And he asked me to get a cup of coffee. Or I asked him to get a cup of coffee. He goes, yeah. And we sat down and had a cup of coffee. And we were talking as two friends. And we were sharing our life together as two friends. And we were just talking. I'm going, I can't believe this. I remember when you were born. Now, I didn't tell him that because I want to be weird. But I'm like, this is amazing. And he's asking me questions about life. And I'm asking him questions about life. And it's an awesome situation. You know, I appreciate uh, my son, uh, Jaden, has a great relationship with John Spencer. And I love that John takes an interest in my son. Because at least well, someone else can love him, right? And they have this friendship. And when, when Jaden needs advice, he'll call John or John will ask him, hey, how's it going? And it's, it's a great relationship. I think about your kids. I think about, you know, Adrian and Olivia. And I think about all your children. And I try to have a connection with them because I want to know them. And you should want to know them too in a good way. We want a healthy intergenerational relationship. You know, I learn a lot of things from the younger generation. I, 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 I realize I'm old-fashioned. That's the first thing I realized. I'm old-fashioned. I used, to, I used to pride myself. I'm not old-fashioned. I'm hip. I'm in the, I'm in, I grew up in the 90s, you know. 80s and 90s, I'm like down, you know? But I realize I'm old-fashioned. And it's quite a, like a revelation when you realize, dude, I am old. I love that my daughter, you know, wanted to celebrate her birthday with her friends with, at our house with us for a little bit. I was so encouraged, like, ah, oh, so encouraging. that They want to still hang out. Then, I, you know, it was like 9 o'clock, and I got all tired. I said, I got to go, guys. I'm going to go lay down for a little while. You know, Timothy... Is, is, is becomes a disciple in the home of a mother who's a disciple and a father who is not, right? There's a dynamic there. There's, there his mother's married, his mother's Jewish, his father's Greek, and so there's already a difference of culture there. You know, Greek and Jews are two different people. Now, just think about that for a second. His mom's Jewish. You have to wash your hands because the, the, the Greeks are unclean. Imagine the household he grew up in. Like the dad would touch something and the mom would come by and clean it real quick. Oh, it's dirty. Go ahead, son. We're Jewish. I don't know what the dynamic was like, but I can, I can imagine there's, there's tension going with two different people groups. So Paul comes into town. Just to, I'm going to show you a map real quick. So Paul starts here. As you can see, my, uh, my laser works now. But Paul starts here in Antioch. There's a bunch of Gentiles that becomes Christians in Antioch. 
And so he goes, okay, you know what? I'm going to help the Gentiles. I'm going to go on a little missionary journey. This is the green, the green arrows. You'll see the, the route he, he took. That was his first journey. And notice the city of Lystra and Derby. If you don't like maps, I apologize. I love maps. I'm a geography major. Maps are awesome. So Paul came to Derby. And when you read your Bible and you, and you open it up in the back and you look at that, you go, oh, that makes sense to me now. See how, see how maps help you? Like, that's awesome. Derby and then to Lystra. So he met him in Lystra. He went from Derby to Lystra. And there he met a household of disciples. And Timothy was one of those disciples where a, a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a was Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him they spoke well of Timothy Paul wanted to take him along Paul saw something in Timothy Paul saw something that was awesome about Timothy because I want to be with this man I want to make him my partner I'm going to take him on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in the area, for they all knew his father was a Greek and didn't want to make it a stumbling block. It wasn't a requirement. It was a freedom choice. But Paul wanted to be all things to all people. So not to offend the Jews where he was going, he, he asked Timothy to get, to get circumcised, and Timothy apparently agreed to that. And so he went. He was committed, right? Amen. So there's the map. There's his first journey. If you look at the red, that's his second journey. And he has a third journey. If you're wondering why Paul was going on all these journeys, if you're wondering why Paul was on a mission to go to every nation in Genesis chapter 10, he's like, I want to hit every area of that. Because Paul's mind, if he goes to every nation, then he's done and fulfilled his job as an apostle of Jesus to go into all nations and make disciples. The only place he had not been to was, this, was the country of Spain. And in the, in the book of Acts ends that he's on his way to Spain. Spain is, in the Old Testament, in Genesis 10, is called Tarshish. And it's the last remaining holdout that has not heard the message of Jesus. And Paul is determined to go there because he believes if I go there, then Jesus might come because I've, I've gone to all nations. Paul didn't know about Iceland. <laughs> He didn't know about Denmark. He didn't know about Estonia. He didn't know about Russia. All he knew was the Genesis 10 tables. These were the nations. Obviously, we have work to do as disciples. Amen? So this is what Paul saw in Timothy got, that got developed and got, he got his reputation. This is what Paul describes Timothy's character. And I want the young people in this, in this church to look at this very closely. This is what Paul the Apostle saw in Timothy when he, when he goes, hey, I want to take him with me. And he writes this in the, in the book of Philippians. He describes Timothy to the church there. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Without Paul, I'm going to send him to you, to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. What a phrase to use i have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare for everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of jesus christ but know that timothy has proved himself 
because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. What an extraordinary statement. Timothy, his loved son, child in the faith, a brother in the faith of Paul. Timothy is, is, is commended for his loving orientation to others, his genuine concern for others, his kindness, his love. The way he, the way he handles and treats his relationships is with concern and care and tact. He's wise. He learned something from Paul. To the young people in this room, you could learn something from someone older than you. And I'm saying that information passes one way. We learn so much about our world through you. We learn a lot about our world, what's really going on in the world. Sometimes we're, we're unaware what's happening. And like, whoa, that's happening? Like, we're unaware. The words have changed. I can't use my 80s words on you. They don't work. They, they mean something totally different nowadays. It's like you've changed our, you've taken our words and you've changed them. So we need an interpretation now. What do these words mean? There are things to learn from an older person, and there are things to learn from a younger person. And that's what I think the lesson that Paul, in his wisdom, is adding Timothy as a sender. He doesn't need Timothy. Timothy has no authority. He's not an apostle. He's just a brother. But in Paul's extraordinary wisdom, he's sending a message. He's, he's signaling to the church. This church should be intergenerational. Because if we're not, just the older brothers and sisters will grow old and it'll be just an older person church. We don't want that. We want an intergenerational church. Or we want the input and the influence of how to do church from young people. Because we want the gospel to be attractive to you. But we also want to be the attractive to the older folks who, who grew up with. Glory, glory, hallelujah. I and mean, we're like, that's, that's amazing. I was converted to that song. And you guys are like, right? We get it. We get it. We like songs that just will make us cry. You're like, that's, that's, oh, that's an organ thing. We need each other. Intergenerational relationships. That's the wisdom of Paul. Paul was so focused on this that he's including him in all these six letters as Timothy as a sender, and he calls him our brother. And Paul is the one with the true authority. You know, authority is interesting. It's, a, it's, it's meant to guide you. I'm an evangelist, but I, my role is to guide you to be better disciples. It's a guide. I'm not here to control you. I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm not here to, to be overbearing with you. I'm here to guide you into, into considering in your relationship, in your walk with Jesus, to make your life intergenerational. You should have older friends, same age friends, and younger friends. You, you, should, you should strive to have that kind of circle. Because I'll tell you, as you get older, your friends group gets smaller and smaller. As you age, young people are like, oh, oh, that's crazy. No, when you get older, your friends, you have, your, it's, it's, it gets smaller and smaller. It's amazing, but it does. It gets smaller and smaller. So we need this, this wisdom from Paul of including the younger generation in our church meetings. Like I invite the young. I want to hear how to make church better. How do we make church awesome? Where it's attractive for the young, attractive for the old. It's attractive for everyone so we all can do it together.
And, and Paul is so great at his, at his relationships. There's one letter he writes to uh, his friend Philemon that, uh, that this is where Paul kind of uses the, his, his, he, he's an apostle. He has, he can command things. He's, he has divine authority for, given to him by Jesus, unquestioned. And uh, uh, one of uh, uh, Onesimus's slaves, his uh, slave that he had owned in the Roman Empire, he ran away. Maybe Onesimus was, was heavy-handed. I don't know. For, for some reason, he was not fired up to be with Onesimus. So he ran away. And Paul writes, and, and while he runs away, Paul meets this person. Uh, Onesimus is, is, the, is, the, is the one who runs away from, from Philemon. And, and, and Paul's friends with Philemon. And he meets Onesimus. And Onesimus becomes a disciple, a brother. And he becomes Paul's friend. And so Paul goes, hey, I think you should go back to Philemon, but I'm going to write a letter. And I'm not going to command Philemon to do it. I want to appeal to Philemon because he's my brother, right? And this is what he writes. Therefore, although I'm Christ, I could be bold and make you, order you, the apostle, I can do it, to do what you ought to do. You ought to, you ought to, you ought to treat this man better right to make you take him back yet i prefer to appeal to you on the basis of our relationship on the basis of our relationship the agape it is as none other than paul an old man and now also a prisoner of christ jesus that i appeal to you for my son my son it's affection there onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. And that's the letter. And he writes to, to Philemon. And he uses his relationship, not his authority, which I find is a model how to lead churches. Through relationship. Not through a title, but through the relationship. Just so I would rather lead God's church through relationships. Because it's influence. When, you're, when you have a relationship and you bring something up, oh, it's, it's received. You're like, oh, I can, I can hear that. Versus, I don't know you out of the blue, and then we don't have a good relationship, and then it, it gets messy, it gets entangling. Yeah, you know, that, that's okay too. But the strength is the relationship. This is a dicey situation. It's dicey. And we don't know the response because we get no letter back from our Philemon. So we hope and pray that he did the right thing, right? But that's the letter. That's the, that's the relationship. And so Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We need intergenerational friendships. I make it a point to know your children because I want your kids to have fun in this church. I want them to be excited about coming to church. And I want them to know, know, that's why I do youth camp. I've been doing youth camp for 16 years. I'm going to retire soon because it, it's getting hard physically to, to take on 300 campers in a water war. It is becoming more and more challenging. But I see the kids in church, not our church, when I go visit other churches, the teenagers and college students, are like, they're looking at me going, hey, Gio. And I don't know their names because all I know is water balloons and, you know, water fire. I don't know all their names, but there's this connection. And I'm like, man, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad that I, I, I took time. So if you serve as a counselor, man, those are great moments to connect with 
the younger generation. You know, when you're, you're a counselor for teen camp or for youth camp, those are, that's how you build the relationship with the young. Just get in their world. Here's what we can do. Jesus taught Paul this through the Gospels, and he's teaching us. First thing is appreciate your relationship. If you don't say it, say it again, man. I appreciate you as a brother, as a friend, and express that. Express appreciation toward your relationship. If you're married, start there. Appreciate your spouse. Like, you're a good spouse. You're amazing. You know, Karen knows that I need this. Karen knows I need to have verbal, tell me I'm okay. Tell me I'm okay, right? Because my mother never did, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's, oh, there's issues there. There's issues. There's issues, right? And I've told Karen that I need this because I didn't get that, right? So when she does that to me, it's like, ah, oh, all right. I, I'm, okay, I'm not a terrible person, okay? And then I do it, I do it back. You know, Karen likes little things. She got little, little gifts, little, little thoughtfulness. I do little things around the house. Again, sometimes I buy flowers. I don't buy enough, but I should buy more, you know. But, but I'm trying to be thoughtful. Like, I clean the kitchen. It's all clean. Look at that. Whoa, it's a shiny kitchen. You know, she's like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. You know, it's awesome. Help others in their faith. And here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. There's a key. You got to spend time with people. I care now. We're talking, you know, now you're going, is our church a community? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a community. I, I always hear people like hanging out with each other. I'm like, you know, you guys don't tell us, hey, gee, I'm hanging out. And you don't have to. I'm not saying that. But I, I actually don't know. I'm like, I, I hope. I hope it, it's connecting. And then I, I find out little tidbits like, oh, the singles are doing this. And, oh, you're hanging out here. And all oh, this couple's hanging out over there. You know, and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. It's good to know. It's good to know that we're, we're in a community where we can spend time with each other. That's how you help people in their faith. It's just by walking alongside of them. And over time, if you're a parent, you know this. You know never to ask your kids how school went because they will give you the shortest answer. But come bedtime, they want to talk forever, right? Right? Because in bedtime, you're not asking them anything. They're like, right? Just by spending time with people, they'll tell you things. Too many times we go in relationships like, how you doing? How's your day? How's it going? And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm traumatized just by your questions. Just go spend time with each other. Go have, a, go have a drink some water, drink some wine, have a beer, have some food. Hang out with each other. And then when you hang out with each other, guess what happens at bedtime? It just comes out because you're, they're saying, like, oh, you're a friend. I can start telling you my life, right? So the key there to help people in their faith is you have faithful conversations when you've walked along, alongside of them in life. It's relationships. And then lastly is seek mentoring. This is not an overlord. No one wants a boss. We have one at work and he's annoying. We don't want another one. We want mentoring, right? We want, we want someone that, hey, I don't know what if I should do in this situation. Oh, let me, let, me, let me seek some mentoring. Do I buy a car? Do I buy a used car? Do I not buy a car? What do I do? Do I Uber? What do I do? Uh, my college education, AI's coming. What do I do with AI? AI's coming. AI's coming. What jobs is it going to take? What, what industry should I get in? You know, you should seek some mentoring from people that are kind of in the workforce, who've been in the corporate corporations. And we got a lot of engineers and teachers and, and healthcare workers here. We got a lot of professionals here that can really help you in seeking out some pathways forward to our young 
awesome generation. And even our older generation, you still seek mentoring by those who've gone before you. I talk to people that are older, that, have, that are empty nesters. Hey, what's life like? I'm almost there. Because it, it feels really lonely in the house. What's it like? And they're like, it gets more lonelier, but you get to hang out with your wife more. I'm like, all right, it's not a bad trade-off. It's pretty good. I love Karen, right? So there's, there's these conversations. So these three things, I want to encourage you to apply in your life. These three, three practicals. So let's take our communion. Let's have a moment of silence. Then I'm going to say a prayer. Let's take our communion. Let's bow our heads in a, in a moment of silence. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to take the, the elements of the fruit of the vine and the bread, God. I pray that um, you'll strengthen us, strengthen our faith, celebrate your resurrection, and, and inspire us to, uh, to really be uh, have an orientation of love and of kindness and of appreciation for one another. So just let me pray. Amen. I want to spend a few moments here, as we've been doing each week, just kind of getting uh, our orientation, not just um, learning about the Bible, but learning about even deeper things in the Bible. One of the deepest things that the Bible wants to teach all of us is our generosity. That God is the greatest giver of all. He gave us salvation just because we believe. So one part of the book here, uh, I'm on here with the, the act of grace, the power of generosity to change your life, the church, and the world. Um, Living to have money. In the first century, as we talked about this last week, the, the, the blindness that Jesus refers to is to these Jewish brethren that they've, they've not, they don't have the idols anymore, but they made money their idol, and that became, became an object of worship for them. Um, they held property and invested in institutions of Judaism, and they relied on it for life instead of relying on God and faithfulness and generosity. And, he, and then uh, Jesus quotes the scripture about, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. That's where we left off last week. And so this week, uh, I wanted to highlight the second part of that verse. This is the eye of the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, the context is how we view money. That's what he's talking about, generosity. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, how blind are you? So this is a spiritual blindness that infects us. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God. So this is the challenge that, Jewish is, that Jesus is, is confronting his, the Israelites with. This is where they were at emotionally, spiritually, untrusting, and they took matters into their own hands. And, and Jesus says, you, you actually are now blind, but you don't know you're blind. It's hard to tell someone they're blind when they don't think they're blind. It's a very difficult conversation uh, to have. But Jesus is giving us a scripture to remind and ask yourself, am I blind? Am I blind? Am I, ask, here's a good question. Am I even contributing in my generosity to my community, our church? Am I even, am I even on the list of con contributors? Okay. If not, you might be, might be here. Maybe you're not I'm, not, I'm not, I'm not judging your situation. I'm just saying, I'm trying to expose you to what Jesus is saying, okay? 
Jesus identifies two characteristics of those who serve money and what it will buy or what it, or what it will buy. The first is that they seek and accumulate. They lay up treasures. The second is that they are anxious about losing them. And most of us are tempted by both. And they are the two sides of the same coin. So Jesus is trying to give us this. He's trying to, hey, we get anxious because we've, we've, we, we get focused on seeking and we accumulate and we, we're afraid we're going to lose them. And so Jesus addresses that. It says, first, the, the first characteristic Jesus identifies is a controlling commitment to seek, acquire, and hold on to money. And those with this characteristic view wealth not as a byproduct of their gifts. Those with this characteristic view wealth not as a byproduct of their gifts, labor, or capital, but as the purpose itself. Having money takes over as their master. They have no interest in serving their neighbors through their labor or blessing others with their money. They are interested only in having money. God loves and God blesses us economically by your gifts and talents. And, and, and what the warning is, don't make money your master. When you have more of it, bless others. That, that's, that's how you get rid of the blindness. You can bless other people. And as I've been telling you, whenever I teach stuff like this, whenever you're ever teaching stuff like this, God puts people in your face. So I was at Vons this week, and there was a woman out there with her children. I mean, her teenage daughter was there, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. How do, you, how do you drag your kid out here? And she's asking for money. The whole family is there. And, and, I, and in my mind, when I walked in, I said, I'm, I'm giving him money. I was determined. I got, I got it. I got it. I'm giving him money. God just sent me a signal. I said, Gio, you're going to talk about money. You better live like it. I said, all right, all right. So I went inside the store. And I, went, I, I quickly used my, I, I tapped it. And when you tap, I didn't realize it doesn't ask you the, do you want cash back? So I was like, and I went to my car and I went to my car and I, and I saw him again. Like, I'm like, went to my car, jumped off my stuff, went back inside and got a bag of lay chips. I had to buy something. This time I put it in the little thing and then gave me the option, to, you know, and I pulled out money. And I pulled out a good amount of money. I was like, here, I want to give this to you. I wish I can give you more, but here, a man just, she was like overwhelmed. I was like, I can't hug you. I don't really know you, but I'm going to just give you the money. I'm going to take off. And it was just, it was that moment where they, they, that I started to see like the blessing other people. Yeah, maybe I could have bought her a bunch of food, but who knows if she didn't even like that food. You know what I mean? I was like, just give her money. And they're like, I, I don't know what she's going to do with the money. I have no idea. That wasn't the point. The point is I wanted to be a blessing to other people. And I think that's what God is calling us to be a blessing, not just to his church. Like, you should be, the church should, should be blessed by you guys, but also people around us. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light then within you is darkness, how great is that blindness? That darkness refers to being blinded. So here's our platforms for digital giving. Uh, there's three ways to do it. You can go to our website. You can download this little app called PushPay. You can text, make sure to put COC, make sure to put no space because there's an Austin church that took our name, right? I was a blessing to them at one point. Not no more. Um, well, I want to bless our church. So special missions. Every church in the United States has a group that collects money together. We, we call them little mission teams. There's a Caribbean mission. There's a Chinese. There's a European missions. And then there's us, the Baltic Nordic. And there's many more on this app called All Nations. You should download it on, uh, on your phone. And it has all kinds of information for you. This is our organization. I sit as a board of directors for the Baltic Nordic Missions 
I am the uh, spiritual support for the Nordic churches. And so I was went on a trip there to unite the Baltics and Nordics together in fellowship. We had a church leaders meeting because the Baltic countries live so close to the Nordics, but they have not gotten together for 15 years. And the reason why is because the second language has always been Russian. But since the younger generation is rising up, guess what the second language is now? English. And so now was an opportunity to combine the youth together more to mix the churches in on events. So we've been working on that, and we have been working on that. And then on Sunday, we had a, I, have a, I had a meeting with our financial team, Dave Chin, Jerry Lechera, Gavin, Gavin Jones. We get together, and then they give me input. They just tell me what to do in that meeting, which is awesome. Um, and here's a picture of the Nordics that we know we want to support. So we, don't, we, have, we have four people in Iceland. You know, it's just a church of just two sisters and two brothers. We got 95 in Norway. We got 150 in Sweden. We got about 40 in Denmark. We got uh, in Finland, we have uh, 35. Estonia, we have 140. It's self-supporting now. Now they support themselves. It grew. Latvia has 40 because of the influx of Ukrainians. And Lithuania has 20. So this is, this is quite a mission field. And as you know, here is Mother Russia, right? And these countries live in constant fear. You know, they're politically, geopolitical powers that, that, that are there. So there's this, and there's this, there's this tension here because, because the older brothers and sisters, we're trying to find a minister that speaks the local language, but we, that we don't. So we have them, they speak Russian and that annoys them because they're not Russian, they're Latvians. So they get annoyed that the speaker is speaking in Russian. So we work really hard on getting them schooling so they can learn the native language of speak Latvian to the, to the church and speak Lithuanian to the church. So it's just a tension that's there because a lot of them, was, it was formerly Russia. So we, we understand the tension. Here's what our financial team uh, suggested for the church. 7.5% of our special missions this year will still go to, to some of the Ukrainian needs. They're still coming in. There's still needs there. The men are in Ukraine. The women are in our churches. The brothers can't leave. They have to stay there. So they're, they're still, they're getting help from the government. We have monies to the side, but we wanted to focus on still sending them more money to, just to make sure that they're taking care of with their children. Uh, 7.5 is a media platform. We have uh, about, I don't know, on the average, maybe five to 15 people that are online. Maybe less today. Maybe less today. But we're trying to make sure that our, our social presence online, it could be a great experience for them. So helping us with getting the proper equipment, uh, getting someone to help with um, making the YouTube videos more, you know, I guess call it sizzle, more, you know, more viewable versus just throwing the service on, online. We want to make it presentable so it can be shared and, 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 and put on a, a bunch of media platforms just to kind of get our message out. Secondly, is uh, we plant churches here in, in, the, in the southwest of the United States. Uh, the last church we planted was Reno. This church planting is in Merced. So we're always planting churches in, in this area. And um, that church has been planted one year ago. We supported them last year, and it's doing well. They started a campus ministry on the Cal State uh, University of Merced. It's out there, and we support them, and it's fantastic. We planted St. We planted St. Louis Obispo with this. We planted Santa Barbara with this. We have helped over the years, and there are churches that are now established. So your, your generosity is having this impact on people's lives, so it's amazing. We've been doing that for years. 30 goes to the Shoreline Stronghold, goes to us. 
We are still under budget in our budget. We're under, meaning we're not, we're not in the black. So we need, we, we, we are always looking for support of contribution to get us in the black, okay? Our finance team has a, does a really great job of encouraging me to always promote the Shoreline ministry and make sure that we are self-supporting ourselves. We're not there yet, but we, we hope soon we will be, will be. And 40% will go to the Baltic Nordic Mission Alliance. We send funds from this organization to, uh, to the Nordic, and they have a special group that decides how they spend that money on mission plantings. It's called the Nordic Mission Fund. So the money goes from us, and it goes to them, and then they calculate how much is this church planning going to be, how much is it, and they kind of allot locally where their needs are. So we give over the money to them, but we collect it from, from, from our churches, and there are about 17 churches that are a part of this, from Alaska to, to uh, Washington to Milwaukee to Michigan to California to the L.A. Church. I mean, there's a lot of churches that are a part of this, and we're meeting in May in Milwaukee, so I'll give you an update when I get back from that, from that meeting. Sorry, to, sorry if this was a little cumbersome, but I wanted to at least put it out there from our financial team. They're putting this before you. There's, I'm not going to ask you for a multiple. I'm not going to ask you for how I'm just going to say this is what they, they decided our goal should be. Last year was 10,000. This year was 15. I wanted 35, but you know, I never get my way in these meetings, right? But 15 was a, was a goal that they want to put out. To, if we hit it, great. If we don't, it's okay, right? I want you to be moved by God. I want me, you to be moved by the Spirit. My ask is this, that you pray about it. Last year, our goal was 10,000, and we gave 35,000, okay? It was a huge, a huge endeavor, but half of us didn't even participate. Half the church last year didn't even participate. So my, my ask is, pray about these things. I'm not telling you what to give. I'm asking you to pray because I think that God stirs the heart because the heart is always stirred by a noble thing. Let's pray for our special missions. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for Psalm 45. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. God, please bless our special missions. Please bless our churches. Please bless the Nordic and the Baltic churches. Give them strength. Give them faith to carry on the message to their known world, God, so Jesus one day uh, can return. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.